Hey, welcome to our podcast. I'm Tom Blackwood, Executive Pastor at Calvary Church. We hope you'll find something every week that inspires and encourages you in your faith. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen so that you'll never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Hey, everybody. I'm Brooklyn. Welcome to Calvary, and thanks for worshiping with us today. Great things are happening here at Calvary. So check this out. Parents, do you need a night out? Calvary Kids will be providing free child care on Friday, February 10th, for children up to the age of 12. Bring your kids at 5.30 p.m. and pick them up at 8.30 p.m. We care about you and want to give you a night to yourselves. You deserve it. This is completely free. Sign up your child today. Our next water baptism service is February 12th. If you've not been baptized in water, this is your next step in following Jesus. Not only has he commanded us to do it, but he also modeled it for us by being baptized himself. It's a great opportunity for us to share our faith and invite friends and family to Calvary to come and see you get baptized. So don't wait any longer. Sign up to get baptized today. Are you new to Calvary and want to learn more about who we are as a church? We invite you to come attend our Welcome Home class on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Welcome Home is a three-week course for those who are looking to connect on a deeper level in calling Calvary Home. It's also a great way to connect with others. A new class starts next week, so make sure to sign up today. For more information on all of these events or to register, visit info. We're so glad you could join us today. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at calvarytriad.church and on Facebook and Instagram at Calvary Triad. Now, let's prepare our hearts for God's Word. Didn't Brooklyn do awesome? I love it. I love our kids here at Calvary. We've got great kids. It's great to be with you this morning and be worshiping with you. Everybody joining us online, welcome to Calvary Church. And I'm excited to bring the message today. I want to start with a word of prayer. So if you would pray with me, let's just invite God's blessing on this word. Lord, we love you and uh, are gathered together in your name, as it's been said, and are so grateful for what you're doing in our midst. That you would even be in our midst is such a, an honor and a privilege for us. Uh, but we love you and we want to see your kingdom advance. We want to see your kingdom grow. Lord, and my prayer this morning is, is not that I would be impressive, but that you would be impressive, that you would impress your word on our hearts today, that you would imprint your mission and purpose on our minds, and that we would really be the church that you've called and designed us to be, because we love you and we want to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, I get to go into our next passage in the book of Acts, and before I do, I wanted to just kind of give us all the framework for the whole book of Acts. won't take me long, but we've been in this series now for a few months, and I think it's been a while since we've looked at why does Acts exist, you know, from front to back. And really what Acts is, is it's Luke's way of giving us a testament of the early church when Jesus ascends into heaven, and then the church begins, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and the church begins. And we get to look at Acts and see from beginning to end these incredible things of how the church grows and how the spirit empowers them and how the church meets the mandate of Jesus, the great commission to go and preach the gospel to all nations. 
And so this is what the reason behind uh, the book of Acts is. This is why Luke wrote it, I think, to be an encouragement for us today, for future generations of the church. He could see it and think people need to know what happened, what God did, how the Spirit moved. And the mission has not yet been accomplished, guys. It's not over, right? The story continues. We are still a part of what began in the book of Acts. So just some context before we get into our passage today. We've had Jesus ascend into heaven. We've had the Spirit poured out at Pentecost. Peter got up and preached. Thousands were saved. We've seen miracles in the book of Acts, incredible miracles, the lame walking, the blind seeing, even the dead raised. And we've also seen some struggle already at this point. We've seen some difficulty. We've seen threats and persecution. We've seen Stephen, one of the greatest leaders in the church, publicly martyred for his ministry by stoning in public. I mean, that's horrible. And then like we learned last week, we learned about James who has died. And James was the brother of John, someone who had been with Jesus from the beginning. And so his death uh, by sword at the hands of King Herod, that's tough. And then Peter, the leader of the church, is now in prison. This is where we find ourselves today. We're about to read the passage. For all we know, Peter's about to die too. They're just waiting for Passover to be done, and then there's going to be a a quick trial and an execution of Peter, just like there was of James. So very tough times for the church. And this is where we pick it up in Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 5. It's going to be on the screens so you can read along with me. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And speaking of prayer, if you guys wouldn't mind praying for my family, my oldest son just got his learner's permit. So, sorry, Connor, I had to throw in there. No, he's doing great. I'm just kidding. But we are going to learn a little bit about prayer here today and moving forward. But Peter's in prison. The church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. He's getting that good prison sleep. And uh, he he was fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed. And put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He went to his small group and he knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed That instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. And when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. 
And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. That's our story. Pretty cool story, right? Would you like to see a movie of that? I sure would. Pastor John messaged me a few weeks ago and he said, hey, do you want to preach on the 29th? And I said, sure, I would love to. He said, don't worry, I'm taking like the hard, heavy stuff the week before, which is where James gets killed. You get the miracle of Peter escaping prison. And I was like, okay. And I thought last week was really powerful and profound, but it it is a tough message when we're dealing with the sovereignty of God. And what do we do when we have trouble trusting and we have these questions? But looking at this story, I mean, this is all good. It seems pretty simple enough at first glance. Peter's in prison. The church prays. God responds miraculously, and Peter is set free. Open and shut case. What did we learn, guys? I mean, uh, number one, if you need a miracle, pray earnestly. Number two, God hears our earnest prayers, and he will answer with a miracle. That's it. Amen. So now that we've wrapped it up, I think kids are still in kids' church, so we might just want to turn on a movie or something just to kill the time. Or we could just chat. What are you guys doing for the games tonight? Anybody for Cincinnati? Any? Okay. Eagles. Guys, I'm just kidding. I'm not done. Settle down. One of y'all is like, hey, it's time we can go. It's our chance. No, that's not it for today. When we look at this story, it's really not that simple to sum it up that way because it's not always true for us. Those points are not always true. God doesn't always do what we want, does he? Just because we pray for it earnestly and grit our teeth and make this happen, he doesn't always do it exactly the way we want. The big assumption when we look at this specific story um, is that we know what the church prayed for, right? What, What did the church pray for when Peter's in prison? For him to be released. Now, we would say that because that's what happens. They pray, and then he's released. But when you look closely at it, it doesn't really say exactly what they prayed for. It just said they prayed very earnestly for Peter. We don't know what they prayed. Maybe they asked God, hey, break him out of jail. Maybe they did. But if that's true, I do find it interesting that at the end of the story, they're pretty surprised when he shows up at the door, aren't they? They're like, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. Sweet little Rhoda just goes out, hears, hears his voice, and, and Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind. You're crazy. And then they're like, well, maybe it's his angel, but they certainly didn't expect for it to be him. That's not what they were expecting. Maybe they weren't expecting that because maybe they weren't specifically praying for that. I want to consider that today, that potentially they had a higher prayer request, a better prayer than just break Peter out of prison. Got to remember that the early church at this point is very practiced in prayer. They're filled with the Spirit. They have the Great Commission at the front of their mind, what Jesus said, what we're supposed to be doing. This is the nature of the early church. And also, the early church is very familiar with threats. It's not their first rodeo, as they would say where I'm from. Uh, They're familiar with threats. And Peter, this is not his first time in prison. He's been in prison three times. And I bet they were keeping score. I bet they were like, guys, how many times have you been? I've been in three times. This is his third time in jail. The church is familiar with threats. And I think for us to get an idea of how they really prayed, 
we need to go find a spot where it literally says how they prayed. And thankfully, there is that earlier in the book of Acts. We've already covered it way back in Acts chapter 4. If you'll go there with me, I want to look at this and look closely at how they prayed. Just to give you context, this is right after the, the lame beggar who was at the temple gate. Remember, he'd been crippled all his life. And he's healed miraculously. He's, he's like asking people for money. And Peter and John are walking in to pray. And he asked them. And Peter's like, silver and gold have I none. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the guy who's crippled from birth gets up and walks. And so this whole area is just blown away by this miracle that's just happened. And Peter takes hold of the opportunity and preaches the gospel. And everybody's listening and, and wondering, like, what does this all mean? But there are other people listening. The religious leaders and the teachers of the law are listening, and they don't like this. Remember, they don't like Jesus at all. They killed him. And so they're looking at Peter and John, like, come with us. They put him in jail. There's Peter's first time in jail. The next morning, Peter and John are standing in front of the leaders with the guy who was crippled, and the leaders are questioning them. And here's basically what they say, you know, don't do this anymore, guys. And they thought... We want to punish them, but we can't because the guy who was crippled from birth is standing right here in front of us. It's going to look weird if we punish them somehow. But here, Peter and John, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore and and you can leave. And Peter's like, do I obey you or do I obey God? Right? That's where we pick up this passage in Acts chapter 4. Verse 23. Read with me. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, and here we have an exact prayer. When they're facing threats, here's what they pray. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, here's their requests. Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, when we look at that story, we can get a pretty good idea of how the early church prayed. They note what they didn't ask for. They did not ask for Jesus to rescue them out of the threats, did they? What they asked for? Boldness. Basically, they said, Lord, as these threats continue to come, make us even bolder when we preach the gospel. And they did ask for miracles and signs and wonders, but not for their own benefit. They were asking for those things for the benefit of the mission and for the honor of the name of Jesus. And what happened when they prayed that prayer? They got exactly what they asked for because they prayed 
the heart of God. I think this is a different mindset. It's a mindset that I'm not so sure I'm always on board with. This is the you are, I am not mindset that Pastor John talked about last weekend. You are God, I am not. What you want is more important than what I want. Your purpose and plans matter more to me than my purpose and plans. Is that the way that you pray? Is that the way that I pray? It's not always. But I want to submit to you today that it's definitely a better way to pray. John said in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The key phrase in that verse is according to his will. John is saying, if it's his will you're asking for, you can absolutely expect to receive it. You can be confident. But as I look on these verses and I think on these things, it begs the question, what's the point? Why do we pray anyways? What is prayer? Why, do we, why does God need us to ask him for anything at all if it's all about his will? Won't he just do these things regardless of the asking? It's a tough question, isn't it? I reached out to my dad this week, uh, Dr. Paul Brooks, my dad, by the way. Hi, dad. And um, he's probably going to watch this later. My dad is like my go-to guy for understanding scripture. He's studied it all his life. He's a theologian, a teacher, a Bible teacher. He's been a pastor and a preacher. He prays. He seeks God. He's great. And I reached out to him about these things. And I loved his perspective. He shared with me about, you know, he's 70 years old now. And he said, after all these years and all these experiences, what I've discovered about prayer is the real journey of prayer is in discovering what God wants us to pray. That's the real journey. It's not just about what we want. It's about figuring out what he wants and how we should pray. That's a bit of a shift. It's a bit of a shift for us in our thinking. Acts 12, 5, Peter's in prison. The church prayed very earnestly for him. I looked at that word prayer, pray in the Greek, and it's this word. It's called prosukomai. Say it with me. Prosukomai. Very good. I guess. I don't know Greek. <laughs> it means an exchange of wishes. Prayer used in the Greek here means an exchange of wishes, literally to interact with the Lord by switching human wishes for his wishes as he imparts faith. That's the word Luke chose to describe what was happening in the church while Peter's in prison. Now, the human wish would be, God, break him out, save his life. But what are God's wishes? Prosukomai. Considering that, considering all of this, what's the point of prayer? I think it's about us gaining the heart of God. The prayers that are sure to be answered are the prayers he wants you to pray. There's a better, more effective way to pray. And before you're tempted to think, that's nice, Pastor Clayton. Uh, maybe that's a part of my life that could be better. So I'll, I'll try to frame it better. 
It's not a part of your life. Prayer is your life. Prayer is everything. Contrary to what we get taught, prayer is not a task on your task list of being a good Christian. Pray, read the Bible, go to church, tithe, be kind, witness. (laughs) This is my task list. Prayer is not an item on the task list. It's a constant line of communication with God, learning his heart, discovering what he cares about. And yes, laying down your needs and issues before him, bringing those to him, but also surrendering and submitting to his will and purpose above your own all the time, always in communication. God, what are you thinking here? What do you want to do here? What are you speaking to me here? This is what prayer should be like, not just something you do every now and then, something you are. Prayer is life. And how we pray says a lot about our relationship with the Lord. We need to check our prayers. Are they me-minded or are they mission-minded? If your prayers are me-minded, you know, God might answer them, but God is more concerned with mission. And what is his mission? That none should perish, that all would be saved, that everyone would know the truth, the gospel, what's been done, what Jesus dying on the cross. That's the mission. But if our prayers are me-minded, we can get focused on things that they may be really important to us, but they're not as important to the heart of God. Or at least they're important to him, but he's, he's working from another angle. Check your prayers. Are they me-minded or are they mission-minded? Calvary, we must be a church that prays with a mission mind. Because when we pray that way, we're going to see miracles. We'll see needs met. But most importantly, we're going to gain the heart of God and partner with him in accomplishing his mission. That is supreme for us. Now, there's space for us, for sure, to make our requests known to God. Paul said so. Don't be anxious. In Philippians 4, he said, don't be anxious. In everything, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to the Lord. Peter said, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. There's space for you to bring your needs. Absolutely. But the energy of our prayer life should be focused on discerning and submitting to what is his will, not our own. And to me, that's kind of what I see in this passage. It's a great miracle, but the church is praying maybe a bit differently than we would think. It's a sobering message. And I wanted it to be the, the miracle. God's going to do miracles. Let's watch him do miracles today. And maybe he will. But it's sobering because this is a hard lesson for us. And so is worship. Like Pastor John said, in our singing its the easy part. Worship. Worship, that's climbing up on an altar. Here's my life, God. Everything I am, everything I have, all my money, all my time, my talents, my ideas, my creativity, my desires, everything on the altar, that's tough. Surrender, worship, and prayer, all part of a difficult lesson that's not easy. But I want us to consider for a moment what's on the other side of putting him first. Look at all these amazing scriptures. Second Chronicles 15 two. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Psalm 9, 10. You have never forsaken those who seek you. 
Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Amos 5, 4, this is what the Lord says, seek me and live. Psalm 119, 1 and 2, blessed are those who seek him with all their heart. Psalm 34, 10, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Hebrews eleven six. anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Psalm 14, 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand any who seek God. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. What's on the other side of putting him first, of seeking him first? He is, God is, ready to be found by you. What do you get when you set aside your own desires and consider what he desires? You get him. You get his heart. You get his purpose. If we seek him, we will find him. This he has promised us. We sang about promises this morning. This he has promised. He said, if you seek me, you're going to find me. He has not promised to give us everything we want, at least this side of heaven. I want you to consider the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, when he says how he pleaded with God three times because he had been given a thorn in his flesh and it was limiting him and it was making him weak and it was so burdensome to him that he pleaded with God three times. He pleaded with him, please take away the thorn in my flesh. And how does God respond? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I got to be honest. If that was me, that would hurt my feelings. Essentially, God is saying no. No, because it's actually better for me and my purpose that you remain as you are. Let's just sit with that for a second, because that's tough. Does God want us in pain? I don't think so. Does God allow us to be limited by things? If it's for the mission, but his grace is sufficient. Oh, it's tough, isn't it? He's not promised us that we will have from him whatever we want in this life. But what he has promised is that if we seek him, we will find him. You know, you look at the lives of the apostles and people that served God throughout the Bible. There's some really tough stuff, guys. Read Hebrews 11 and see the miracles of the heroes of the faith, but finish Hebrews 11 and see the horror of what happens to people who follow God and people sawn in two, people giving their life. And then you look at the apostles in prison being beaten and mocked and cursed. Paul was one of them. It's a tough life. It's a tough message. They experienced the pain, the suffering, but they also experienced the adventure and saw the amazing glory of God at work in miracles and power. God moving in glory and might like nothing they'd ever seen before. When we pray, we need to remember that the prayer that is sure to be answered is the prayer that seeks him first. 
The prayer that's sure to be answered is the prayer that seeks his ways. As difficult as that can be sometimes, because God may not answer the way we want. Still, our role is to put the great commission of God first, the mission of God first, and submit to his ways. And this is where prayer really begins to show its value. Because when we pray out of a desire to see his mission accomplished, we really begin to learn what matters to him. And what matters to him is what should matter to us. You are, I'm not, you are. Look, it's a miracle that we're even here today, that we have the breath of life in our lungs, that we've been saved and forgiven. We have eternal life to look forward to. Our perspective should be, God, what matters to you right now? It's not that he doesn't care about your needs. No, bring your needs. He cares about your needs. But let's keep our frame such that what we're truly aiming for is the mission of God in all of these things. I want to give you a couple stories from my own family before we wrap up. First, I want to tell you about my grandpa, Dr. Delmer Gwines. Great man of God, still with us in his 90s. Man of prayer. I don't know many people that pray like him. He's a good man. And there was a season in his life that God had miraculously saved him. But for years and years and years, his own father didn't know Jesus. And this was ripping my grandfather's heart apart. And he would pray and pray and pray, seeking God, calling out his dad's name to the heavens. Save my dad, save my dad. And he would pace the halls of the school where he worked up and down, praying again and again, God, hear his name. One day, God spoke to him in his heart and said, son, your father's name is well known here in heaven. Isn't that cool? There was like this assurance that came over my grandpa in that moment. Your father's name is well known here. We've heard it. I've heard it. But then God brought to his attention, what about the millions of people in the world whose names aren't being called every day. Who's going to pray for them? In that moment of prayer, my grandfather learned the heart of God. It wasn't just about meeting the one need. There's a massive need. There's a huge need, a bigger picture, a higher prayer, a better way to pray. And it's not that you shouldn't bring your needs, but let's remember what's on God's heart, not just what's on ours. He learned that lesson He learned the heart of God in that day, and he was able to release his dad into the caring hands of God after all the prayer, knowing, okay, God's heard his name. And then he started a movement for the unnamed, said, people, let's pray for those whose names aren't called in the heavens. It's pretty awesome. Next story I want to share is in my own family about my son, Caden. He's our middle son. And when we were trying to have another child after Connor, uh, it took us a while and it became difficult, about a year and a half. Some of you have been in that situation or maybe you still are and you know the pain of that. But we already had Connor, so it's good. But still, we, we wanted Connor to have a brother. We wanted to continue to build our family and we were wrestling with, God, why, why isn't this working? And my wife was praying, again, a year and a half into this, just praying and seeking the Lord. And one day in prayer, God brought her to the story of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. You remember this story? In the vision, God takes Ezekiel to this valley that's covered with bones, dry bones. 
And God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel looks at him and says, you alone know, Lord, if these bones can live. And the Lord says to him, prophesy to the bones that they may live. And Ezekiel prophesies to them. He speaks life, come to life, bones. And then there's this really gross depiction of the bones coming to life and muscles and things being put on the bones and they turn into human form and it's men and women and the bones live. Back to my wife in prayer. God has brought this to her mind. What are you speaking to me, Lord? She said, God, can my body produce life again? Can I ever give birth again? You alone know. Just like Ezekiel, you alone know. And right there, I think, is the heart of prayer. You alone know. I'm giving it to you. What do you want? What do you know? What, what's your purpose in all of this? And you know what God told her? Well, I mean, Caden's in the room. <laughs> God said, prophesy to your body. And she did. We can track it to the day that we conceived that night. Nine months later, Caden's born and he's in the room. He's 11 years old. And I want to say this. I'm so grateful that it was in God's plan to do that. But I also know that God's plan was not just about us having another child. It was not just about that desire being met. It was much bigger than that because that young man is a prayer warrior. When we prayed about his name, just like we prayed about our other son's names, we found the name Caden Lane. Caden means spirit of battle. Lane means one who makes a way. And we knew this was, this is God's son, not just ours. This is God's child. This is God's servant. One who will, in a spirit of battle, be a prayer warrior that is going to pray the heart of God. He's going to learn the heart of God, and he already does learns the heart of God, receives that, prays it, and he's going to see the glory of God and the kingdom come in this earth. It's much bigger than just us having another child. God's will and purpose is much bigger than the things we think we want and need. It's all about what he wants. And if we're mission-minded in our prayers, that means we set down what we want and we pick up what he wants. So what does he want, guys? What does he care about? I think we should start with the people next door. I think we should start with the people in our community, in the triad. What's on the heart of Jesus is what's been on his heart since the beginning. His purpose to seek and save that which was lost. He cares about the people, the souls. That's what's on his heart. And we should be about the business Praying, persisting, fervently, earnestly praying for the salvation of souls in this community. It's not his will that any should perish. That's a prayer he's going to answer. If we'll pray together, church, if we'll fervently seek that, we're going to see it happen. He cares about the message. He cares about the commission, the message, the gospel being preached, because that means salvation. That's what he cares about. And you know what? If we're about his mission, I promise you this. Threats will come. There will be threats. There are already threats. You can look around on the news and see the threats that are against the kingdom of God. Threats will come. And when they do, we need to be ready to pray just like the early church. Lord, make us even bolder. Lord, stretch out your hand and heal the sick. Work miracles, signs and wonders through us 
for the glory of your name. And if that's really what we care about, the glory of his name, if that's really what we're fervently praying for, his kingdom to come, his will to be done, prepare yourself to see the glory of God like you've never seen. Because God's going to answer those prayers. As we come into agreement with his heart, God is waiting for his church to come into agreement and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Stand with me. Say it with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I want you to consider the needs that you're facing right now. And I know that you're facing needs. I know that there's a heaviness. We all have stuff in our lives that we're praying about. My uncle is at his house right now on hospice, facing cancer. This could be the end. I'm praying for 20 more years for that man of God. It's a grave need. But even in the middle of these needs, we need to be ready to say, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kiss is about you. This isn't about me and what I want. This is about you and what you want. God's going to answer that prayer. We're partnering with him. We're learning his heart. And if we will together in agreement say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Along the way, some miracles are going to show up at the door knocking. And we're not going to even know how to handle it. Like, wow. Oh, look at what, look at what's happening. It's God's mission being accomplished. The mission goes forward. The story continues. He wanted Peter to still be alive. There was more work for Peter to do. We can expect those miracles. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, Jesus himself wrestled with the will of God. I know that's hard for us to compute because what well, Jesus is God, but in his humanity, he wrestled with God in the garden of Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus said that. Maybe you felt that. He knows what that feels like. My soul crushed with grief to the point of death. But then he knelt and he prayed and said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Three times he prayed that prayer, Jesus. Three times he wrestled. And what do we see was ultimately the heart of God. Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The heart of God was, son, this is the mission. My grace is sufficient. And Jesus went to the cross. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. There was a joy on the other side of our obedience and our surrender to his will. As hard and painful as it can be, as surrender can be, Equal to that and beyond is the joy that comes when we see the mission of God being accomplished in the world. Can you see it with me? Can you see the families of this community pouring through these doors and giving their hearts not to a great church or to a great pastor or great programs, but to Jesus himself? They're coming, flocking to Jesus. Why? Because we decided we're going to be united 
in the mission of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, save this triad. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. I can see it. I can see it. I can see sick people being healed. I can see people being delivered from the oppression of the enemy, from addictions. I can see relationships being restored. I can see all of these things. And maybe not every one of the things that I want gets met. But if every one of the things he wants gets met, what an awesome world that's going to be. How amazing for all of those people. Believing for it with you. And I just want to take a moment for anybody in the room today or watching online that may not be walking with Jesus. Today's your day. Don't wait another day. Let's make this the moment for you to make that decision and give your life to the Lord. Would you all just bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. If you have heard the gospel today in this message, you've heard how the Lord loves you and his purpose and mission is to save those who are lost, to forgive those who have sinned, to give eternal life to those who, do, who deserve death. If you've heard that message and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want you to lift up your hand and look at me because I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. Anybody in the room today that wants to respond to the gospel this morning, let me pray with you. Anybody joining online that needs to respond to the gospel, we're about to pray. Pray this prayer with us. Church, can we lift our voices together, everyone, and let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for the cross because your cross is my forgiveness. Your cross is my salvation. And today I want to give my life to you. And I want to live for you for the rest of my days. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. Amen. Thank you. Can we give God thanks for his work of salvation in our lives? Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve it, Lord. Thank you for your love. I want to ask our prayer team to come forward and to be at the positions at the back as well, because we are going to pray for needs. Like I said, I know you've got needs. We can bring those to the Lord and we can, we can seek to find his will in the middle of the need. How does God want us to pray about these things? But I just want us to take a moment first to process and to listen for the will of God for yourself personally. What is God speaking to you? What's he speaking to you about his will and purpose in your life? Can you take a moment just to listen? driving in this morning praying about this I was asking the Lord why is this so difficult for us why is this message so difficult and I thought well what's the difference between our church here now and the early church then there's a pretty significant difference for one 
I'm, we're about to leave out of here. Our family's probably going to go get something to eat. Later on, we're going to sit and watch football games. It's going to be a good day. I'm pretty sure that no one's going to imprison me for doing this right now. I'm not facing the same threats. And I know there are needs, but let's look at it honestly. We're in a pretty comfy society. That's good. Are you grateful to live here where we can freely worship and pray? Of course. Thank you, Lord, for that. But there is a byproduct of that that I think is actually dangerous for the church. And when the church gets comfortable, we start to get me-centered. We start to preserve what we have in our boxes. Lord, help me, protect me, keep me healthy, keep me, uh, like my finances to be good, protect my family, my kids. Lord, just guard us, protect us. How often do we pray, God, protect us? I think we need to be praying, God, thy will be done. Let your mission be accomplished more than we pray, God, protect us. And I know that's a hard thing to hear, but that's, if there's anything for us that we need to be doing, it's praying earnestly, desperately for the kingdom of God to come. Now, before we find ourselves in a position like the early church found itself, I heard a pastor once from Africa, and he said, revival comes one of two ways desperation or devastation and maybe it comes in another way I don't know but I was compelled by that and I said God I want to be desperate I don't want to be devastated but I will say this the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran (laughs) and it's being led by women women behind the scenes discipling other women and other men It's scary, it's crazy to be a Christian in Iran, but Christianity is thriving there. People are giving their lives to Jesus because the light's shining brightest in the darkness. The darkness here is so subtle, it's so comfy, that we lose sight of the mission of God. We have to be a church that prays and prays mission-minded prayers, amen? God, help us, help us to be led by your spirit and to be the people of God that pray mission-minded prayers, not me-minded, mission-minded. We are desperate for your kingdom to come, your will to be done, your mission to be accomplished. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have needs today, please come to our elders, borrow from their faith. They're ready to faithfully pray with you over those needs. And remember as you go that this is a house of prayer, okay? I love all of you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.